Welcome to Equus Farm Calls, where we take horse owners along with us to discuss important topics on equine health and care with industry experts. Today, we'll talk about changing seasons and equine nutrition with Dr. Claire Tunes. I'm Kim Brown, group publisher of the Equine Health Network. The Equus Farm Calls podcast is brought to you in 2022 by Farnham, your partner in horse care. Admit it, bugs suck. They're the last thing you want hanging around your horse and stable. Our friends at Farnham can help you rid your barn of these annoying, filthy, disease-carrying bad guys. If you're ready for the best way to protect your horse, your stable, and yourself, look to Farnham's no-fly zone solution. The people over at Farnham have discovered the best way to set yourself up for success is by fighting on all fronts. With their three-stage approach of block, repel, reduce, you can be sure flies, mosquitoes, and ticks are kept away. Go to Farnham.com, that's F-A-R-N-A-M.com to learn more and download a free copy of the Horse Owner's Guide to Creating Your Own No-Fly Zone. Plus, you can find money-saving offers to help you get you on your way to a fly-free zone. Farnham, your partner in fly control. Tunis, Ph.D. MS, is the owner of Clarity Equine Nutrition based in Arizona. She specializes in creating individual feeding programs for a wide range of horses, including high-performance athletes, senior equines, and horses afflicted with metabolic or other physiological conditions. Welcome, Dr. Tunis. Hi, Kim. It's great to be back. Well, we sure do appreciate you coming back. Our audience enjoyed your podcast with you back in January on hay and feed prices. So we're very glad to have you back again to talk about changing seasons and equine nutrition. And I know when we were talking before we started recording the podcast that you said the basis of pretty much everything we're going to talk about is body condition score. So we wanted to just kind of reiterate for our audience body condition score and and some of the levels that we'll be talking about. Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a really good skill for horse owners to hone. Um, it's something I encourage all my clients to do at least once a month, right? Just stand back, objectively look at your horse, put your hands on your horse. And I think that in the winter is really important, especially if you don't clip your horse. Or certainly, personally, I remember as a kid having a pony that we loaned out to somebody that um, you know, ended up being quite underweight. And unfortunately, the person who we'd loaned it to just, you know, didn't put their hands on it and was pretty actually mortified when we pointed out, you know, <laughs> under all that hair, there's not a lot of weight. Um, so yeah. it is really important for us to put our hands on. And, you know, in the winter, we put blankets on, we cover them up a lot. We're often, well, I remember going out and, you know, trudging around in the dark with a headlamp on, you know, it's like after work and what have you. So sometimes we don't even see our horses in really good light if we're going out to feed at 5.30 and again at 5.30 in the evening, it may only be the weekends we see them in really good daylight. So I yeah, really encourage owners to learn about body condition scoring. It was um, initially developed by Dr. Henneke at Texas A&M um, as part of his PhD program back in the the 1980s, I think it was. And um, it sort of got extrapolated across all kinds of horses and used everywhere. But it's a, for those that aren't familiar with it, it's a nine point scale. Um, some countries and some people use a five point scale, but the Henneke's original system was a nine point scale with one, with a number one being extremely emaciated and a number nine being extremely fat. And so 
most of our horses we want in the middle, about a five, which we call moderate. But, you know, if you're somebody that has an elite, you know, event horse, race horse, polo pony type horse, you know, that might be a four and it might be fine. If you have a brood mare, you're going to maybe want her a little bit, you know, closer to a six. Um, but we really sort of want to stay in that four to six window. And let's be honest, a lot of us have horses that are <laughs> creeping upwards of six um, and are getting a little closer to uh, the, the sevens and eights. <laughs> um, and I've been guilty of that myself. And again, it's hard when you see them every day to really notice that they're just getting a little rounder <laughs> than they should be. Yeah. I think we've all had that issue and it's really hard, especially if you have one of those, a pony, a donkey, some of these that are just oh. quarter horses that just tend to be air ferns. Oh, golly. I mean, my daughter's pony, you arrive at the barn and it's, you know, every time you arrive, you know, and it's, it's very hard to say no <laughs> to the. I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's just so cute. And we get there and she goes, oh, look at you. You know, it's just kind of. So, yeah, I, I get it. But that, that's where the condition score is really useful because it's much more objective. And, you know, you, you can download, you can find it online. If you Google Henneke Equine Body Condition Scoring, you can find this nice chart and you just follow the chart and you take your emotions out of it and what you see and what you feel is what you have um, and my clients I make all my uh, consultation clients do this before we work together and many of them are, are you know surprised one way or the other actually um, when they really have to do it what they've really got so so five um is you know the neck blends smoothly into the body right there's not a great big step in front of the shoulder there's not a lot of crest fat in that neck um the withers are rounded over the spinous processes um that's a little tricky right because you've got that one of those shark fin thoroughbreds you may never get a lot of flesh build up on the wither so there is you do have that sort of have an allowance for, for kind of breed type a little bit um shoulder blends smoothly into the body so that's that kind of the back of the shoulder in front of the girth some horses get some pretty squishy fat in that area um the ribs i think we're all obsessed with ribs you know we, we really you know we we kind of when you say to somebody is that horse overweight or underweight i think the first thing they look at is the rib cage area right i think we're all sort of just attuned to doing that and um uh if you stand back and look at the horse's rib cage if you cannot see ribs, then that horse in that area of that horse scores a five or higher. If you can see ribs, then you know it scores less than a five for that area. And I should point out that I condition score in a way that I score each of the six areas individually, and then I take an average. Oh, okay. The reason I do that is because... Um, we sometimes get what we call these regional fat deposits, especially in the metabolic horses. So cushionoid horses, for example, you can maybe some of them, you can see their ribs, but they've got a lot of crest fat. And by doing each of the areas individually, to me, like horses should be uniformly fat or uniformly thin, right? They should sort of be a five all over or a six all over. And if I'm scoring a seven on the neck and a four on the ribs and a six and a half on their butt i'm like what is going on here like that to me that's often a red flag that there are some metabolic issues going on that i need to look into a little bit more so i find it really useful to do it in these sections other people do it different ways i also start off by reading the five description and saying 
is that what I see and feel? And then I go up and down from there um, and, and score each point. So um, the back area on a five is level, right? It's flat. You don't have like an A-frame mountain peak. You don't have a valley going down the back. Now, again, you know, halflingers <laughs> and those sorts of breeds probably always have a valley going down their butt, although the sporty ones sometimes don't. So again, it's yeah, a little bit. Um, you know, breed specific. And then the tail head, fat around the tail head begins to feel, feel spongy as a five. And so that's sort of our ideal. Um, and so, yeah, it's good to get familiar with that scoring system. Well, all I can say is I'm glad in the winter they don't body condition score me because I probably wouldn't do well. But that's, that's a good point, though. That, that kind of leads us right into weather. So yeah. a lot of times this time of year, we're getting into fall. We know winter is coming. A lot of times we're, you know, not as active with our horses when the weather's cooling down. Right. But then um, we also mentioned a couple other things, and we'll talk about these individually. You know, in some areas like where you are in Arizona, it's going from so hot, I don't want to see my horse anywhere outside of air conditioning. So if it cools off, you're ready to do more work. Absolutely. And then there's a lot of people who escape the heat and, uh travel somewhere else you know or the cold excuse me they escape the cold and travel someplace warmer so let's start with the you know for a, a vast majority of folks in the u.s it's going to go from warm to cool here in the next couple of months and they may not be riding as much and the pastures aren't giving us as much and we may be looking to transition our feed so what are some of the things we need to watch for and look out for and, and be aware of yeah, those are all great points. And I, mean, I start off with that condition score. And at this time of year, I find it's really good to say, you know, what am I stuck? What do I have right now? Right? Because now if I have an older horse who's underweight going into winter, I have kind of a two month window right now to get some weight on that horse before the weather really turns. Right. So that's something I think about. Do I have a horse that's going into winter with a little bit more flesh cover? I don't have to worry about it so much. So those are good starting points. And as you say, what's my work going to be like? I mean, have I been riding five days a week after work or, you know, including weekends? And But my barn doesn't have arena lights. So, you know, once the evenings draw in a little more, like those five days after, you know, I'm going down to a two-day, you know, so the weekend warrior model because I just, you know, I don't have anywhere to ride in daylight after work once the evenings get dark. Um, and I think it's a pretty common mistake that people don't adjust their feed, you know, according to work done. And that is, you know, that's a really big one. And, you know, let's be honest, it doesn't get super cold, you know, September, October, but our working levels can go down with those evenings drawing in. And there can be that temptation if you've had a pretty fit, active horse all summer, um, that you just kind of keep feeding it the same way, even though you're only riding twice a week now. The weather is not that cold yet, so they're not really burning that much, um, keeping warm yet. So, you know, you can accidentally, you know, end up gaining a little more condition on some horses, especially the easier keeper horses. Um, so it is important to pull our concentrate feed back according to work. If you're somebody that is feeding, you know, a performance feed, a lot of horses go into even if they are being ridden five days a week, maybe they've been on a pretty rigorous show schedule, um, you know, end of your championships point, you know, things are kind of wrapping up in September. A lot of horses kind of go into that winter training uh, mode before they come out in the spring. Um, yeah. 
Or as you said, some people, that's not, some is the opposite. I mean, like our horses here in Arizona really have just been doing their training, ticking over sort of 30 minute rides all summer. And, you know, looking at my calendar, we're about to start going out every weekend. So competing and doing things. So um, we'll be going the other direction. So where, you know, for example, our personal horse has been just sort of on a pretty minuscule amount of balance and, you know, he'll actually bump up a little bit and probably get a little bit more. Um, come middle of September because they'll be working harder. Um, yeah, and, and, and horses that are going to be traveling, whether it's, you know, warmer to cooler or cooler to warmer, depending on the season, because, you know, and in, in, as the horses maybe go from the northeast or down to Florida or down Southern California or whatever, right. or then they, they transition back. What are the things we need to look out for when we're traveling and going to a different climate? It may be cooling off and at home but it may be still pretty warm where you're going yeah absolutely i mean yeah we get a lot of snowbirds come down here to arizona they come down for the whole winter um they'll start arriving sort of end of october um you know some of those horses are on pasture up north you know they're coming down from you know the illinois the iowa's the michigan's or whatever dakotas and they're you know they're coming down here for the winter and they're on pasture all summer and they come down here. We don't have pasture really down here. You know, Florida's pastures, they do have pasture, but it's more what I would call like mental health pasture. Yeah. Southern California, you're not really going to find pasture. Um, so those horses, that's a big um, change from a predominantly wet forage source to a dry forage source. And that can be the same, you know, even if you live in like New England and you don't go anywhere for the winter, right? It's unlikely that your horse is going to be you know, it might have been out on pasture 24-7 all summer, and now at the very least it's coming in at night um, and your pastures are going dormant and there's not much out there. So we do see an increase in colics in the fall. Um, and it's not so much the weather as it is we radically change their management. Right? We don't ride them. Perhaps we don't ride them as much. Riding the movement is important for gut peristalsis, right? Things just moving through the digestive tract. Walking around a pasture will do that for you too. And so if you're suddenly now in a 12 by 12 box stall, um, when you were walking around, um, the moisture content of grass, we don't think about that very much. Grass is really wet. So about 85% of grass is water. And of course, when we make hay, we take that wet grass and we leave it out in the sun for four or five days to dry. We evaporate out all that moisture. So the hay that we're feeding is the opposite. It's only, you know, at the most 15% water, you know, really, you know, better quality hay is closer to 10% water. So that's a big difference. And so we really want to make sure our horses are drinking well when we make that switch from grass to hay. We all think about feeding electrolytes in the summer, um, but feeding salt in the fall and through the winter is just as important. I would argue possibly sometimes more important. Um, to keep them drinking. So, um, you know, your two tablespoons of salt every day if your average size horse is really cheap colic insurance um, to help keep them drinking. Um, and when you're on the road and you're going a long way, you're the same as showing, right? Your water sources change. You take a horse that's used to living on a well and now you put them on municipal water that's got chlorine in it and he doesn't want to drink it very well. Yeah. Um, you know, so offering a bucket that's got something like an electrolyte in it or apple juice or Kool-Aid or something 
to kind of mask the, the water can be helpful. Um, but you kind of need to start that before you leave home. Because <laughs> the Kool-Aid is going to be weird when you, if you just suddenly go somewhere new and put apple juice, apple cider vinegar, you know, whatever it is, Gatorade in your water, and you've not done that at home before you left, it's not going to help, right? It's going to still be weird. Right. Um, so you have to start that at home. <laughs> um, and you really need to make sure you have a plain bucket. Always give a plain bucket because, you know, they need a choice. Um, so those are, you know, those are some big ones. You know, traveling is hard on the gut. It's hard on the microbiome, um, the stress. You know, a lot of these places, it's a well over a 12-hour haul to get to wherever it is you're going. Sometimes it's, you know, 24 hours in a trailer, and that's really stressful. There's been studies where they've looked at, you know, the effects of tying up a horse's head for multiple hours and being in a trailer. It, it negatively impacts the immune system. Um, you know, cortisol levels are higher. So these are all things to think about, too, if you are making a long haul this winter and changing north to south or whatever. Um, you know, having your horse on a good sort of prebiotic or something that's going to help stabilize the digestive tract. Changes of hay. I mean, like we can get Timothy here in Arizona, but it's extremely expensive. So we mostly have access to like, you know, alfalfa, Bermuda, sometimes some teff. I mean, if you come down from the north and, you know, you have access to Timothy and Brome and Meadow Hay and all this kind of thing, like you may not find that down here. It's certainly not at a price that's, you know, sustainable, going back to what we talked about in January. Um, so, you know, changes in hay, you know, take some hay with you, right? Take a bale, you know, take a bale so that you've got, you know, five or six days worth of hay to transfer to new hay, because that's a big, you know, we know that when you change types of hay, um, your colic risk goes up for about three weeks. And type of hay, you know, people always think, oh, Timothy to Bermuda or whatever. No, type of hay could be Timothy to Timothy. You know, we forget that chemically, you know, from a nutrition standpoint, it, yeah, it says Timothy on the outside, <laughs> but on the inside, it can be very different. The amount of sugar, the amount of starch, the amount of protein, it can be very different. And that takes a while for the gut microbes to adjust to. So it's really important to try and take some hay with you, um, even if you're just going to be going from one kind of hay to another, um, you know, that's the same type of hay. Yeah. And let's talk a little bit about, I mean, we, we talked about sometimes our horses get a little pudgy and you need to touch them and feel them, but there are just some horses that, and I think as a horse owner, it's because I'm like, Okay, I want to feed them more because it's winter, it's cold, you know, there's there's weather, all that kind of stuff. But then you get to spring and even if you've, you know, had blankets and you've been checking them, they kind of creep up and, and they 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 pudge up during the winter. So what can you do to avoid actually feeding your horse too much through the winter? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, con continuing to condition school, getting yourself a weight tape, putting a weight tape on them. Um, but I think we have to stand back sometimes. And I'm a big one for looking at how did horses actually evolve? Right. I start there when I think about how I feed a horse in general, right? They're designed to eat forage. Right? If they were left to their own devices, they would eat some kind of forage for probably 16 plus hours a day. And that's, you know, they're, des they're designed for little and often trickle meals of forage, high STEMI, like no low nutritional value forage. 
Um, we, we don't tend to feed them that way. We tend to feed them you know, twice a day and, and forages that are actually quite high quality. So um, the more you can think about how they're designed to be fed and how their anatomy evolved to kind of meet that niche that they filled, um, you know, the better off we probably do by them. And it, we have to remember that, you know, they lived in so grassland plains and open spaces and ate what was available to them. And if we've ever managed to pasture, you know that that pasture is better quality at some times of the year than it is at other times of the year. And most of our pastures, especially in the northern climates, go dormant, uh, you know, somewhat dormant in the winter. The Bermuda type pastures certainly do. And somehow the horses got by with that, right? They, they walked a lot, they went a long way, they'd go find something else to eat. Um, we make their lives very easy from a nutrition standpoint. You know, we just sort of give them a platter with like, okay, we don't maybe do it right. We do it in meals. We don't make it constant, but we give them this a much better quality nutrition and they don't have to walk anywhere to get it. Um, so I think if, if we could, you know, let them struggle a little bit more sometimes, some of those easy keepers, right? Don't make it quite so easy for them. Um, let them lose some weight. You know, horses in the wild go, I was lucky enough to grow up on the edge of Dartmoor in England, and we have Dartmoor ponies that live, I mean, they're, they're, they're managed by people, and they're owned by somebody, but they are sort of free roaming um, on, the, on the national park, and they lose weight in the winter. I mean, they, you know, Sometimes they come out looking poorer than you would like, but I mean, they lose weight in the winter. The spring appears, the, stumps, the grass appears in the spring and they all gain weight again. And there's a reason why mares fall out the time of year they do. They fall out when the grass is coming up with lots of nutrition in it to support their lactation and their growing foals. And they go into this time of year, they're pretty fat and sassy and they go into the winter and they gradually lose it again. And we don't let horses do that you know, anymore. We kind of keep them on this maintained plane of nutrition that in reality is often slowly creeping upwards plane of nutrition. So um, do you really have to put a blanket on your horse? You know, I mean, does he really need a blanket? I'll be honest. I often put a blanket on because it's more convenient for me. I don't have a lot of time after work in the winter time to be grooming off a lot of mud if I do want to ride. So for me, I clip and blanket because it's a convenience to me. But, you know, would it be better if my horse was overweight to, um, you know, not clip him and not put a blanket on him and let him, you know, burn a few calories, keeping a few more calories, keeping warm, maybe. Now, every horse is an individual, so it's very difficult to make a, no pun intended, blanket statement. <laughs> but, you know, you, you kind of have to, you know, step back a little bit and just think, you know, do I, there's some things like little changes I could make in my management that would mean he'd have to burn a few more calories, you know, to keep warm. And then I could feed him more because I could, you know, he'd be, I could keep more hay in front of him. I could feed him more naturally because he'd be burning those calories to keep warm, right? Um, conversely, if you have the harder keeper, it's the total opposite, right? If you have that horse that tends to lose weight through the winter, yeah. you know, maybe consider putting a blanket on him, you know, help him insulate himself so he isn't having to burn calories to keep warm. And you may find that your feed bill goes down because yeah. you're, you're not having to put as much food in front of him to help him keep warm. So it goes both ways, right? And that's, you just have to look at them as individuals. Um, but we have, you know, I'm certainly not advocating letting horses get underweight at all. Right. At all. I want to make that super clear, but 
um, I think that sometimes we can let nature help us. If you if you're the person that's yeah. been putting a muzzle on their horse, you know, all day, every day, all summer, and it's just like you've got the air fern and you know, it's so difficult to manage those horses. You know, winter can be a bit of a relief, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it, you know, put them out. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Tunis, for joining us today on Equus Farm Calls. And we really thank our audience for joining us. And we welcome your input and hope you'll tell your friends. And if you have any suggestions or comments, feel free to contact me at kbrown, that's the letter K Brown, at equinenetwork.com. Equus Farm Calls is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of the Equine Network, LLC.